I mean, I have Rumplemensch to celebrate, so I might get a little loose after this one shot. Rumplemensch. Yeah, it's a hundred proof peppermint schnapps. And if you can't say what you're drinking, then the bartender steals your firstborn child. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am drinking a vegetable pulp smoothie. Wow. You're nourishing your body while I poison mine. (laughs) I'm actually somewhere in the middle. I'm drinking kombucha with a little bit of tequila in it. Oh, right. We got the full spectrum here. Yeah. yeah, I heard kombucha is a little alcoholic. Yours is a bit more. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Won't you come my way? My self-restraint is crumbling. It's just me. So don't you be afraid. Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals, the finale of Darling in the Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex. This is Brian. And hey, it's Ben. And we are here sans guests. We don't need him. Get rid of him. Uh, we're, we're fun enough on our own, right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> are we that interesting? Are you not entertained? I'm hoping. But we are really excited to close out the series. I, for one, have really enjoyed this journey. My favorite thing has been like, you, Ben, like, uh, or and myself, like, most people who we had watched this with had said something about the first few episodes and be like, I don't know if I'm really going to enjoy this. And like having people go beyond those first few episodes and really see the story open up and go like, oh, they're actually yeah, commenting. Yeah. On I don't know. I, I have really I enjoyed this series. I think I still struggle with the same things that I wasn't sure of at the beginning, which is kind of like the melding of that shonen kind of super robot combat stuff mm-hmm. with what what ended up being like a, a really cool love story and and kind of interesting characters interesting sci-fi like overall concept but then again it's it's kind of like i i'm not the target audience for the the shonen stuff so it's hard to know kind of how well that worked mm-hmm. and and kind of whether it would stand alone without that stuff so just listening to you describe it that way, mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel like it was going to be doomed to like a cult following, you know, as as a hybrid like Shonen Shoujo. I mean, that was a risky move. And like, you know, the results were there was Shonen people that hated it and Shoujo people that hated it. Yeah, I, I do not hate it, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. So does anybody have anything before we do last time on and get and watch this and then discuss it and just have a blast anime news yeah any anime news uh i mean i know that there's been like a lot of really exciting announcements um overlord is coming back don machi of course attack on titan mm-hmm. they just i thought they were like in their final season or something like that yeah that um they they do a mid-season break i don't know if there was ever an announcement on when the last half of the final season was coming back but I, I saw something on Anime News Network uh, to look for that in 2022. Um, th- this is not anime, but I feel like there is a pretty big horror anime crossover in, in the audience. Oh. And uh, I've been watching the show Yellow Jackets on Showtime. It's a little hmm. bit like maybe Lost with more horror components. And it's about a girls high school soccer team 
that uh, on the way to the national championships, there are plane crashes in the wilderness and they have to survive. But it's kind of Ooh. flashing between a timeline of them out in the wilderness and then some of the characters in the future as adults kind of dealing with the the trauma of what they they went through and kind of keeping this shared secret of kind of the links that they went to to survive. So it's called Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets. Yeah. Yeah. It's really um, good. It's uh Netflix is- uh it's Showtime. We okay, okay. sometimes get through HBO Max. Mm-hmm. We can pirate it. Um but I would say don't watch it right before bed. It's not like scary scary, but like it has this you know, kind of incredible music that then also is just very unsettling where when it's over, mm. you're just like, kind of like, ugh, like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and it puts me in a weird headspace, yet I keep going back and watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we just want to feel things. <laughs> it really is true. It's weird, like kind of, I don't know, that we put ourselves through not pleasant experiences just because they are intense. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I can add something to that. So I guess just because of the type of the work I do, uh, I meet people that are uh, kind of on the, the fringes of society. Uh, I've been a sex worker, and uh, we were just talking about things like consent and safety, and they referred me to a Netflix documentary called uh, Hot Girls Wanted. Uh, yeah. Uh, about five By years Rashida old. Rashida Jones. Yeah, Rashida Jones. So we watched that, and it was specifically about like, the amateur porn industry and it was startling um kind of its own horror movie experience but you know darling in the franks is a lot about intimacy and sexuality and the two young girls that they were following in this documentary it was a very familiar sort of journey don't recommend watching it with kids <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> and maybe be in a good headspace when you watch it because there's very disturbing things that happen in this world. I, I have heard that that's maybe kind of like a a darker darker side of of that world. I mean, who who knows? But I, I would say uh so there's that movie and then she made this uh documentary series that's yeah. called Hot Girls Wanted Turned On that's kind of about the intersection between sex work and technology. And I think that I don't know the uh the cam girl episode of that is like one of my one of my favorite short documentaries. I <laughs> cannot recommend it highly enough yeah i I guess when uh when i was doing research for darling in the franks um i was trying to look at a lot of issues in psychosexuality and like hookup culture came up a lot like Mm -hmm. i didn't actually end up bringing it up but like uh the episode 14 i guess when zero two is rejected and goes off on her own Mm -hmm. uh and then there's like the host of men waiting for her again Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, like certain aspects of hookup culture came into my mind about like the disposability of people. Um, maybe the reason I didn't bring it up is because like it's kind of a reversal. Like the studies that I was seeing was that hookup culture benefits men over women. Um, I don't know. I guess that went nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think the lesson is if you want to get jacked up before going to sleep, watch Yellow Jackets. And then if you need to get depressed to fall asleep, watch hot girls wanted yeah. yeah and and i um I, as much as i like the meandering i i still haven't seen this last episode so now i'm i'm kind of oh. on the, the edge of my seat so okay well thank you for saving it this will be fun last time on star franks the parasites strike back 
The Franks family Robinson all launched into space based on nothing more than Hero's hunch. Kokoro and Mitsuru stayed behind since Osha has not yet approved piloting while pregnant. Hero paired with Nine Alpha while the rest of the squad got some totally sweet black space armor. In the ensuing assault, Hachi lost an eye and Alpha had a Doctor Strangelove moment, killing a colossal Verm construct. Inside Strelitzia Apis, Hero rejoined with Zero Two's consciousness, becoming the Jian once more. While shielding Zero Two's physical body on Earth, Mitsuru and Kokoro turned back into a couple, while at the same time, Strelitzia Apis turned into a giant woman. This new anglerfish mode made short work of the remaining vermen, then activated a Martian stargate to Papa's home planet. The pilots present made Hero and Zero Two promise to return before wishing them well on their one-way path towards vengeance. Can they keep this promise? Do they have enough crosswords to last the trip? Will those left on Earth find it terminally boring with no monsters to fight? Let's find out. All right. Three, two, one, play. We've left on our honeymoon. Billions and billions Heading of stars. to the ends of the universe. So that was a kind of interesting uh, shot from above. The Even so. jet stream behind them kind of looked like the, the train of the wedding dress. Oh, I did not notice that. That's cool. Oh, it's the same music as when they uh, were preparing for the wedding. Yep. There it is. An actual papa. Aww. Look it. There's your papa. Oh, don't you love that? They left behind the story. Gradually Mm -hmm. growing up and becoming adults. Hito, Zero Two. How are you two doing? It's just a little bit lonely without you both. Well, I thought for a second Futoshi had gotten with uh, Ichigo. I was like, oh, twist. <laughs> <laughs> While Goro was gone. I would have actually kind of liked that. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Which is like, yeah, I don't know. Actually, it turned out that Ichigo and I had more in common. I don't know. <laughs> and Ikuno just gets like a ambiguous uh, assistant who holds her yeah. hand uh yeah it's Naomi. Yeah. so it's a happy lesbian ending but they don't explicitly say that they're together yeah kind of a bummer yeah that is too bad sakura trees don't really get that big do they i've never seen one that big it's the uh, sakura apis tree <laughs> <laughs> i mean i guess it's pulls up to support it to yep. allow it to grow that big oh <sighs> there it is cycle of death and rebirth that was Darling and the Franks. I was just going back and watching, and it is indeed Aishderu this time, as opposed to Daisuke. So mm. that makes this the bigger climax. Than... <laughs> All right. Are we watching through the ending again? What's happening? No, I was just uh, the uh, musical piece when they're all shouting their prayers for Zero Two and Hero. That piece is called Pray For. It's one of my... Well, I keep saying it. There's there's so many great uh, scores in this anime, but that's one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, let's just start out there. Let's talk about this. So, like, the music in this whole series is wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's top notch. uh, A a very professional, both composer and performers. Um, Obviously, there was, like, some money thrown into it, but, like, it really ties a lot of emotional moments together, right? Because you can have these subtextual themes that you reinforce with the same music motif to tie seemingly disparate moments 
back together. And we saw a really good example of that or a couple of really good examples of that in this last one. There's like the the ending music. And there was also that when they did the montage of them like working in the fields again, uh, it was the same music as when they did um, when they were preparing for the wedding. So it was like, you know, satisfying work yeah. purposeful work yeah that piece is called Rocco <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> yeah I think that that one sticks out to me and then there's like this kind of like paranoia conspiracy music they play mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like those are the two that maybe it's just like they're m- most different from the other ones I, I feel like for me a lot of the other ones sort of like blend together for whatever reason mm-hmm. yeah and I wasn't sure but um near the end uh, it felt like there was a variation of uh, Zero Two and Heroes Love theme uh, playing. Probably. Uh, I remembered, or I had, uh, I figured this out, but uh, I don't think we mentioned it before. So I don't really have a place to put it. But um, at the beginning of this, it says code 000. And it made me think of all of the times we've had an episode that started with like code whatever. And in one of them, it says like code, I think it's 000. And then it says Ceresis. And it's the one time we get on screen the name of their plantation. And a Ceresis is a cherry tree. And I was like, why is it a cherry? Oh, because it's the cherry blossoms. That's cool. Yeah. So if I can just geek out one more time about Asami Tachibana. Yeah, um, absolutely. I I do listen to a lot of anime soundtracks. My favorite artists do an interesting blend of like orchestral scores combined with like synthetic programming, which ends up being like kind of exotic instrumentation for an orchestral score. In Asami Tachibana, she goes even a step further. Like a lot of her synthesizer tones end up sounding more like textural and atmospheric than contributing to like a melody motif. Pretty awesome. Yoko Kano, like another famous anime composer. um, That's Mm -hmm. the earliest example I can think of of someone who did something like that. Mm-hmm. And she's the um, she's the composer for Darling in the Franks. Yeah, Sami Tachibana. And the second one, who? who oh, so they... Yoko Kano, like uh, Cowboy Bebop. Uh, yeah, right? Cowboy Bebop, oh, Mac Ross right, Plus. Right, right. A lot of animes that are like specifically known or their music. Okay, cool. Yeah, 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 definitely. Anything you got to geek out about. This is the episode <laughs> to do it. <laughs> I'm actually a little bit glad that I mentioned like the Gundam skirt because then you started talking through the one scene that I always just cry like a baby when uh, i was born hmm. yeah i love uh like it's simple it's a little corny they name the baby love mm-hmm. but like that's cute like hope is a fairly normal name like yeah, yeah and it, it, it is in japanese i is a, a female is like a female name in japanese wait 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 so you you never say I. You never tell someone you love them. You never use those words. But it's okay to name someone it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Well, and you know, there's different kanji. There's different mm. like Chinese characters that can have that same pronunciation. So I don't know um, how often it's like the character for love. And mm, okay, but yeah, when you meet a Japanese person named I, you call them Daisuke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess Daisuke isn't a name, but Daisuke is <laughs> probably a joke there in Japanese <laughs> somewhere. Okay, so basic setup for the episode, right? Uh, he- Hero and Zero Two went through the gate. So now they're on this solitary journey. I mean, they're not, it's not solitary. It's solitary for them as a, a duo, obviously, but they are together, right? And they're 
beings, even their physicality has become one. They are, their uh, bodies are integrated into each other, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, much like the anglerfish that we, uh, that I likened uh, 022, uh, that Estrelletia Apis to in the last episode. And they are on their way to the Verm planet to go fucking end this shit so that another generation doesn't have to deal with the same stuff. And back on Earth, everything is going pretty well. Like you said, there's a new baby eye and they have taken all of the soil from Mistletane and they are using it to farm with. So I like how you put this in the outline. Zero Two narrates as she and Hero travel through a sea of stars. Like this scene always feels like their honeymoon to me. And they are, they're not going to the Caribbean. They're going to Verm world <laughs> and they're going to wreck some <laughs> shit. Uh, I just really like that. Some people like relaxing. Some people like fighting. Mm-hmm. Her narration is nice, but I love the way she ends it. She says that we are unbreakable. Mm-hmm. And we see that, you know, it, you, we've had this uh, theme throughout the entire series of, finding someone you can lean on, finding someone that supports you and the synthesis of your two efforts of your relationship, that's the unbreakable thing. Mm-hmm. And we see that just, you know, reinforced here. So one thing that just like came to me through this viewing of the, the final episode was um, the, the moment where Hero was being like sedated by like the will of Verm mm-hmm. and uh, Zero Two lost her connection with him. Like mm-hmm. the, the first few times watching that, I was like, oh, this is kind of a weird beat in this story. But um, when I was thinking about like this being kind of like their honeymoon and, you know, that feeling of like, we're so intrinsically linked and unbreakable. I was like, yeah, that's the honeymoon feeling. I remember that. And mm-hmm. I guess, what, two years go by that they're mm-hmm. just flying through space, blowing up Verm. And like, that's kind of the grind at that point. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. Like when the honeymoon is over, bonds are tested and it doesn't get talked about because it's not as sexy, but like the mundane uh, can sometimes be a bigger threat to an intimate bond as, you know, the other woman or whatever the fuck it is. Oh, sure. And uh, yeah, maybe we are getting too far ahead here. <laughs> no, that's fine. So I, I guess if, if we're just going to run with like what struck me as like really endearing was like their friends got together and they, they voiced their intent. And, um, you know, it sort of clicked with Hero. Like, what is it that really matters? Mm-hmm. And not trying to promote myself here, but like in, uh, you know, wellness coaching and relationship coaching, like that's usually the go-to. Like when a relationship is in distress, going back to like, what is it that really matters? What is it that you really value? Mm-hmm. And that's where people draw their strength from in relationships. So good for them. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Uh, It reminds me of, we talked earlier in this series, my favorite Final Fantasy is Final Fantasy IV. And there's this moment, spoiler alert, towards the end of the game, which as a young person, I really hated because it's this moment where you find out that a whole bunch of stuff you thought happened didn't really happen. Like a whole bunch of consequences are not really consequences. But anyways, you get all these people, these characters that are left on Earth praying for the party that went to go save the world. And I wondered if that was like a tropey thing, like if that's something that happens a lot in uh, anime or just Japanese stories when like the hero goes off, if maybe the village gets together and they pray for their 
safe arrival or something. Uh, but in this, it was even better because it it didn't destroy any consequences. It was just that message of, you know, the two of them are out there in space trying to save us, but our efforts are what got them there. They can't be there without everyone on earth doing their part. So I feel like here in the West, the word pray carries a lot of baggage with it, that it means something more specific than maybe it really is. So in terms of like voicing your intent, uh, that's something that you'll find in religions all over the world throughout time and different spiritual systems of thought. So you're saying in this context, it does not mean praying to a God to, no, I mean, it's praying towards them. Yeah. I mean, the, the musical score behind that scene is literally called pray for. Mm -hmm. I I know from the, you know, the year I spent in Japan that um, there are kind of different, I don't know if it's Shinto shrines or also Buddhist temples that kind of people go to, to pray for different things. So there's Mm -hmm. like one that's, you know, this Shinto God, who's like a scholar. So like when you take your entrance exams for school, that temple gets or uh, shrine because Shinto is always shrine. Yeah. That shrine gets super crowded because like everyone shows up there to like write down like, you know, what school they want to get into or whatever yeah. and, and kind of like do an offering. And it's interesting because it's this, it's this thing I still haven't completely wrapped my head around because it's kind of like, you talk to people and almost everyone says that they're an atheist, that they're not really like religious, but tons of people still do stuff like that. And I remember talking to my boss who, you know, she's like this professor, like very much a scientist. She's like, yeah, I'm not religious, but like, I don't know. I don't know what the word is in English, but like, and she's like, maybe like superstitious. (laughs) So it's like the, it's the ritual itself for a lot of them like it's the the focus the meditation yeah i don't know or or just maybe in the way that not religious people might still believe in horoscopes or something like that like it just i think a lot of this stuff is maybe just stuff that humans do and then we create religions as like a way to to do them but even in the absence of religion you know Uh. you still end up doing a lot of the same things but i haven't really wrapped my head around it I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Like how I always have my pockets filled with salt just in case I need to throw it over my shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) It it is something that I've struggled with too. I I can't remember what the word for it is. Like maybe like the pluralistic nature of Japanese culture. But uh, Mm. no, gosh, I'm going to really fuck this up now. I can't remember (laughs) if it was a Buddhist monk or a Shinto priest I was talking to, but they were sort of clarifying like, a Buddhist temple is something you go in. A Shinto shrine is something you go to. Uh, but mm. in both cases, you can participate in like ritual or observances, uh, even from a secular standpoint, because so much of it has like symbolic meaning that might be significant to like a secular individual. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't tell you what any of those things are. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was only 16 when I met this guy. (laughs) There's this phrase like in Japan, you're born as a Buddhist, get married as a Christian and die Shinto. The the main traditions around like birth are more from the Buddhist tradition. More people are doing kind of like the Western marriage now. But then kind of I think a lot of the funeral things are are kind of more the the Shinto ceremonies. Mm. I feel like we see that in Darling in the Franks, right? Like the the, really? the marriage was specifically like a Christian styled marriage, right? Very much so, mm. with the priest between them. Absolutely interesting. 
Okay, so is there anything that tracks with, uh, did they do anything for I when she's born that tracks with Buddhism? Hmm, no clue. <laughs> okay, and as they die, is there anything that tracks with Shintoism? Like, do you, in Shintoism, is a big thing praying for the dead on their journey to the Oh, uh, like, world? yeah, all the ancestral stuff that comes from, uh, yeah. I, I do know there's kind of a thing of, like there's the different anniversaries for the funeral. Like you have one funeral and then there's like another one. It's like six years later and then like 13 years. I, I forget the exact years, but there's some mm. in some intervals you're supposed to like come back and have these these other morning funeral kind of things. Oh, and, and yeah. so they have specific meanings for like the journey of the loved one. But I feel like it's, is it more for like the survivors to like have a place to put their grief? I, I'm sure on some level, but I think it's also, mm -hmm. it's just kind of like now it's just this thing that you, you have to do. I don't mm -hmm. know. Like it's okay. um, ritual. God, I hope mm -hmm. none of my family is listening to this. Like I'm such a bad kid for not remembering <laughs> all these details. Like the little shrine that's in your house is called the Butsudan. Right. And that has like the images of your ancestors and you put out like the rice bowl and the sake and the tangerine, you know, and they eat the spiritual component of that food. And uh, you ring a bell, you light incense, you bow. And then. Uh... Oh, my God, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. You bow and it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I remember all the trivial stuff. I don't remember the significance, like what these things meant. Ah. Here's the important thing to know. You never <laughs> stick your chopsticks in the rice because that's what you do mm -hmm. for the butsudan or whatever. Yes. You always lay your chopsticks horizontal on the rice bowl to like not... I guess. Yes, correct. Remind people of death or whatever. And you, oh. yeah, you do not pass anything from chopstick to chopstick or hashi to hashi hmm. you only do that when you're pulling out the bones uh in the cremated remains of your family members whoa use the same chopsticks to pull out the bones that you're gonna no 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 no, no you you only pass bones from chopstick hmm. to chopstick you don't eat with that part yeah there, there's this movie uh departures that's all about funeral funeral tradition hmm. okay so we don't have a funeral proper in this episode, but we do have a birth. So down on earth, the big event is this fucking baby, right? Mm -hmm. Is the first baby to be born, I guess, biologically in a hundred years or the first baby to be born outside of apes purview in a hundred years. And everyone, it is their number one priority here. Uh, Mitsuru and Futoshi have a really cute moment where they both bring Kokoro food and they're like, you have to eat both of these. Kokoro, eat this stuff. No fair. Eat this too. Thank you, you guys. Mitsuru, he wants to help, but there's really nothing he can do. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's cute. I've been there. Um, and, and there is this moment when Mitsuru is is leaving there um, that I think maybe doesn't come across well in the translation. But um, after they give this food and they're going back out to the field. So I think this came about back in our Evangelion episode. There's a moment where this happens uh, with Shinji when she's when he's staying with what's her name the Masato with yeah Shinji and Masato where they start using the the kind of familial terms of when you leave the house and we, when you come back to the house. So when he goes back to the field, he says that like 
oh, I'm leaving, but I'll come back. And oh, are you talking about like, Tadaima? Yeah, so, so it's uh, leaving Itekimas and then um, Ishairaish. <laughs> Uh, I'm it. <laughs> oh no! Keep going. So when you come home, you say "tadaima," and when your yeah. loved one comes in, you say "okaidi," and but then the opposite, it's "itei But I'm sure there's probably local dialects too. Yeah, I think one of them is "itekimas." Yeah. So we got this uh, hinted at in the last episode, but this time, this episode, they revive all of the pruned pilots that are in stasis, including Naomi. And we're like, oh, Naomi survived. Like it looked like she was dead in that first episode, but she did lose an arm. So this is one of my favorite parts of the episode, but I still have mixed feelings about it. And we discussed this a little bit, but like Naomi immediately, every scene she's in, she's with She's like Ikuno's new research assistant. But I felt like it was supposed to be that Naomi was also gay. And now Ikuno and Naomi have started a relationship. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think, is there kind of foreshadowing of that in the early episodes? Like, is that part of why um, Hiro can't connect with her or something like that? Oh, well, it is blamed on Hiro in, on the blue blood. Hmm. But that absolutely could be. It makes a lot of sense. If you hook up with someone with Klaxus or blood, it uh, turns you gay. That's what I heard. <laughs> so, right. like, if we backtrack, um, Hero was a star pilot with mm-hmm. Naomi, presumably when they were younger, maybe pre-pubescent. And maybe, like, as they started to develop, that's when issues started to happen. Like, maybe the idea there is that Naomi... As she was developing, she was sort of coming into who she was as a lesbian or bisexual or whatever the heck. Mm-hmm. They didn't really spell it out. So, Yeah, it's unfortunate that even though Ikuno gets to survive, like we don't get any actual uh, explicit condoning of her uh, uh, orientation or anything like that. I, I wonder if there would be something with TV broadcast and, you know, that that would be too controversial or or oh. something like that to like explicitly do it in a kid's thing but That's sad. i would have loved to have had uh you know the explicit confirmation but i don't know if that would be a fair expectation given the culture it comes from which i still don't have like a clear idea of like how open or hidden people have to be in japan about their sexual identity hmm. just get so many different messages yeah, if you're in Japan right now listening to this, uh, let us know. There's a, a Queer Eye episode on Netflix. That's, about this. that's right. That Queer Eye Japan series. Mm-hmm. Oh. At least one of them is a kind of young gay man. That was like a one-off it, special, right? Yeah, it's maybe like four episodes or something like oh, okay. that. And I think his is kind of like, yeah, like people know I'm gay, but they just like have these horrible like stereotypes and I just can't actually be myself or something like Like, it's just kind of like it's almost like a don't ask don't tell kind of a thing or something like that I mean there's a few Japanese YouTubers I follow uh Shogo in Japan like he talks about a lot of social things and one of the things that he brings up is like workplace discrimination Mm -hmm. like a lot of people have to hide their sexual identity because some excuse will come up why they have to be terminated And depending on what industry, like they could be blacklisted. Hmm. And then the excuse will be like, oh, not because we have anything against this. It's just 
we can't risk being associated with this because of what other companies or like the general public might think. Hmm. That is super lame and rough. <laughs> so Goro leaves to, he says, go find supplies and survivors. Um, he kisses Ichigo, which I mean, yay for them. Uh, I guess they're together at the end, but I, I don't know. They also didn't make that explicit. They kind of just left it up to our imagination. Like at the end, Ichigo's pregnant, but they don't say that her and Goro are together or that it's Goro's kid or anything like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) (laughs) But when Goro leaves, he has this line where he says he's got like a special target, something he's going to look for specifically for Ikuno Mm -hmm. to bring back. And I didn't catch any of the times I watched through it. I made special note of that line and I was like, okay, what is he looking for? What is he bringing back? I just assumed it was a sex toy. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, no, okay, okay. You know, trying to just get him on his way. You know, like there's so much that's just not said. Like even with um, Goro kissing Ichigo, maybe the embarrassment is because he did it in front of everybody. Oh, so maybe they are together. Still, wait, how do uh, uh, public defla- displays of affection go over in Japan? Uh, not well, at least with mm. the old guard. So maybe they are uh, still, they are together, but they're still yeah. private. I mean, Traditionally, a husband and wife wouldn't even walk side by side. That's very strange. Sorry, go ahead. The the cherry tree just appeared below Zero Two's statue, or is that something they planted? No, I think it's supposed to be that the statue turns into the new cherry tree. It's like this transubstantiation. Yeah. Dropping some Catholic words, man. Transubstantiation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When an angel or other otherworldly being becomes flesh and blood or vice versa, I guess. It's like changing from one uh, form of being to another, right? Yeah, I, I heard it in terms of like that wafer cracker or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The The material wafer becomes the body of Christ and the wine you drink becomes the blood of Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Transubstantiation. Yeah, I'll pass. <laughs> there, there, there is, I think it's like a, I guess it would be a Hindu myth that um, the first uh, marijuana plant grew from uh, like a teardrop of Shiva's that like fell on earth. And, uh, I don't know. So, so there is a kind of maybe mythic thing of like explanation, explaining where these things come from. And, and it's kind of these actions of the gods. And I did actually, I was thinking of Shiva when they were up in outer space and they were just like the waves of, of things coming at them. And it was just mm-hmm. like this, like God being just like destroying <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. like Verm basically. So I wrote down in my notes, like I am Shiva, the destroyer of world, oh, worlds. Right. Or nice. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, um, I, mean, I mean, that's they- like the extent I know that kind of myth. I don't know. Well, it may be a reference because they have made efforts to represent a whole slew of different uh, mythologies, right? Like there's this heavy Sumerian connection, but there's also Norse. There's also, it wouldn't surprise me if at least someone on the team was like, oh, I know this Sumerian myth. We should put that there in there too. Or not Sumerian, uh, uh, Hindu myth. Because like all of them as the first generation after the apocalypse like another end of the world changing to a new world um they're all kind of like gods because they have special knowledge of the old world but zero two and hero specifically they become like you said like this god being that their legacy lives past them and there are two things like this story a lot of it is about revolutions right 
and uh, our cycles. And the two things that survive the cycle are one, this baby on earth, the next generation survives the cycle, right? Something biological, but then the story also survives the cycle. And that's the two components that make up human culture, right? Like we have our genetic legacy and we have our mimetic legacy. I love it. I was, I was Googling too, the, um, if the internet has an answer to what Guru was looking for. Um, <laughs> and it seems like the consensus is that it was not made explicit, but since Ikeno like develops this cure to the like advanced aging of the clones, that it's mm-hmm. maybe something related to that. Okay. And so people have speculated that it's uh, Karina Milsa, who that's uh, the wife of Frank's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the uh, the Telomere research that she was doing uh, way back in the day. That's awesome. That's such a deep cut. Yeah. And it brings back like she kind of got this short shrift. She's only in that one episode. She like dies like that. Yeah. But she is also part of the legacy, right? Even if it's a background radiation. I do like that explanation. I still don't buy it though. Like what why why, why would Ikuno be like, yeah, yeah, waving him off? Why not just be like, yeah, the telomere shit. Go get that. Because <laughs> she doesn't want to give everybody's hopes up. She's like, I'm going to try to reverse our advanced aging, but no, I don't man. want anyone to get up ups- or like excited about it. She was sending him to like the ruins of Pleasure Palace. <laughs> that, that's what that shit was. <laughs> Swing by a sweet adult video store. <laughs> that Klaxo porn. <laughs> <laughs> She's in the wait. Was the was the queen one armed? No, it's just Frank's. Yes, just Frank's. Uh, the queen has a bunch of extra appendages. Okay. Um. Oh, hey, one armed. Mm. Now we have another one armed person. So Naomi replaces Frank. Yeah. Nice. Oh, and she becomes a scientist with Iguno. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then Iguno with her bleached white hair, she looks a lot like Frank's wife. Yeah, nice. it's like rebirth. Everything is the golden bow. Patterns repeating themselves, baby. So Ichigo keeps their book, The Prince and the Beast Beast Story, and continues to look over it to draw inspiration for herself to keep going. Um, And that's when we get this title card that two years pass. Their journey is very long, and there's certain strange things that start to happen. You you made mention of this earlier, Brian, that like we're past the honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. There are unforeseen complications that show up in a relationship. You know, like you lose track of your goals or you lose track of each other, or it's easy to just like Hero does fall asleep on the job, mm-hmm. which they frame it in an interesting way that like they don't sleep anymore. Like they yeah. don't have that kind of existence, which again is like, well, are they really mortal anymore? Uh, kind of this, again, transubstantiation idea. Mm-hmm. But Hero is still somewhat human. He's still uh, limited by his human body, at least. And so he is starting to pass out during their journey. And Does this lead us to Verm's attack? Yeah, okay. Okay, so this is uh, when Ichigo is thinking about them in space uh, and they do the two years pass. That is when the final conflict starts. That's when they reach the Verm planet, which I loved like it's it's just one giant wide shot, but they show like the planet and then they show what looks to be like a cloud coming off of it. And that's supposed to be the wide shot representation of just this massive fleet that they have, which is very, I don't know, Macross. Like that's a pretty common thing to have. Yeah. Not just a, a fleet or not just to like animate a fleet, 
but to have like a template of fleet animation so that they can make it huge. Yeah, I mean, it does remind me a lot of uh, like that final battle in Macross when uh, Rick is sent in to kill like the masters. Mm -hmm. That might be too obscure for some of our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, someone listening has seen Robotech or Macross and they appreciate it. You know, I think in in previous episodes, we've kind of talked about, you know, what do the Klaxosaurus represent and what does Verm represent? And, you know, I, I think there is a component of Verm too that is just like, it's kind of like this personification of death and like kind of like you know Mm. maybe this kind of like spiritual idea of there being this like big consciousness out there that after this life we just kind of return to that ether or whatever and and maybe the the temptation to do that or or kind of like um death calling for for hero or something like that like do you really want to live infinitely or do you just want to kind of i mean it is interesting thing about uh, verm is like the specter of death because like when someone gets absorbed into verm they lose their identity like their individual personhood right mm-hmm. i was kind of watching this kind of being like oh like maybe this is just like you know verm you know it's, it's just kind of like the inevitable thing that like <laughs> no matter what we do like the the universe will destroy us but uh life is still living worth living despite that because of the the journey or whatever but you know then we went more the the fairy tale ending Hmm. Uh, i hadn't thought of that background consciousness like something that we return to uh i can't remember where who i talked to about this maybe it was you brian but recently i talked to someone about that a lot of modern day religions even though they're monotheistic they have a polytheistic view of monotheism like that there is one god one supreme being but it is personified like it is a localized entity which is contrary to a lot of early monotheistic theistic beliefs in that like the gnostic religion gnostic christians and things they don't think of it as a like physical being or anything like that it's not like the most powerful being in the universe it is the universe it is like you said the background consciousness uh that we all return to it's the thing that lets us exist and so verm is kind of that christian or 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 polytheistic view of monotheism in that it has this personification this will that when everyone returns to it, they don't get to just exist. They have to be in service of this patriarchal bullshit. Mm. You know, and I guess just to continue the the comparison, maybe in like Christianity, when you die, it's still like your individual consciousness going to heaven or hell or, mm-hmm. or wherever. Whereas I think, you know, maybe at least in, in Buddhism, it's something more like the, the concept of you is just like an illusion that you're like engaged in right now and like you will like lose that illusion when you die and you know your consciousness is uh, like you are the universe but you're like temporarily tricking yourself into thinking that you are what you are now which which i don't know sort of sounds like this stuff that verm is saying almost right it's like oh you you poor child stuck in your fleshy body like you think this means something but (laughs) yeah okay so verm frames it negatively Mm -hmm. um but i think of it positively like Mm -hmm. i i really love i really love the idea of like all of us are 
parts of the universe experiencing itself. You're saying Verm, just to be clear, Verm phrases like the the individual nature that here is experiencing negatively. Yeah. And, and then the Hindu thing, you have three big gods and one is, so you have Shiva, the destroyer. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going maybe against what I'm saying. In some ways, like Verm is more like Shiva. They're just like mm-hmm. destroying everything, being like returned to it. Then it's, you know, I've, what is it? Shiva. I feel like there are, it's summons from Final Fantasy VII. Um, <laughs> there's like Brahmin that's like, like kind of maintaining continuity, and then there's another god that's the uh, the creator. Is it Vishnu or Krishna? Yeah, Vishnu is one of them. I think he's a creator, maybe. Okay, but maybe the idea of that there are these kind of forces in the universe, kind of towards death and nothingness, and then other forces towards like life and somethingness and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, God, I can't remember where I got this. It's probably something nerdy, like World of Darkness, like Werewolf the Apocalypse. But there's like a triangle of forces, right? There's like dynamic motion, uh, nihilistic motion, and static motion. So there's like chaos, building things, and then there's destroying things. Hmm. And I totally messed up the order so they don't correspond to what I was saying. But anyways, um, I think you're right. I mean, maybe Verm does seem like it's destroying things, but I feel like Verm is not destroying things. Verm is trying to put everything into stasis, mm. whereas Streletia Apis is Shiva. It is the destroyer that lets the cycle continue. Hmm. So Brahma is the creator, okay. Vishnu is the preserver, and Shiva is the destroyer, which is needs to be done in order to then recreate the universe and start that cycle over again. so verm would be vishnu the preserver <laughs> there's one more like madara was the manipulator that leveraged naruto and sasuke against each other <laughs> <laughs> sorry i really wanted uh, to contribute <laughs> well but that also makes on earth that makes our survivors uh, especially Mitsu and Kokoro, that makes them manifestations of Brahman in this dynamic that we have here, because uh, they are the ones creating new life uh, uh, as part of that cycle. Hmm. All right, we've we've gone big. Now let's yeah. let's tether it back in. <laughs> okay, so this new child is named I, a baby named Love. Super cool. I don't know. I like the symbolism. It's kind of simple but evocative, and I can't help but love the trans lit language like across language meaning like you know it's 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 love it translates to love in english but the the word they use i also evokes this individuality and personality like i like as an individual but it also evokes this uh uh beginning of a new cycle because one of the things in like christian creation myth you know god says like i am the one who is called i am I, I know it's not spelled that way, but yeah. it, 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 it b- speaks to me of a whole new story that's coming out. So I, I love the symbolism, small and big. Yeah. So like, this is our, the part of the story where rebirth is happening, right? So we've got the first baby mm-hmm. born. We've got uh, the land is growing and turning green again. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Theta was with us, I'm sure he could expand on all this golden <laughs> bow rebirth stuff, but uh, babies and crops. That's all I got. Uh, and Mitsuru and Kokoro also take on new names. Oh, that's right. They still have this holdover from the psychic surgery. So whenever Mitsuru says Kokoro, he still gets a pain in his head. Yeah. And she says, 
just call me mama now. And I call you Papa. And we get around that. Mm -hmm. Like diegetically, that's what it is. But symbolically, right, they're taking on a new name because they're taking on a new role, which not as common in, uh, I mean, it is common, especially like in family dynamics, but not as common in the new age. But like, I feel like a lot of traditions you would, like if you got a new position in society or something, you would take on a new name, a new title that would be added on to uh, your honorifics. Yeah, it generally creeps me out when I am hanging out with a couple and they're calling each other mother and <laughs> strange. <laughs> but uh, for, for a Kokoro and Mitsuru, because of the psychological conditioning, I, I can I can let <laughs> give it a pass. I was trying to remember what uh, exactly what scene this was in. I was curious if they say in the Japanese, like, is it Papa, like the same Papa that was the, you know, the old, the old God, the old leader of their society? Oh, like if they use the same Japanese pronunciation? And yeah. The same kanji? Um, I don't know, but that sounds awesome. I do love that, that they like get to supplant these old gods. I mean, Mitsuru is like the real Papa and that ape motherfucker was a <laughs> false Papa. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so in this scene where we meet I for the first time as a young girl, she's like two, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's how much, or a year and a half, because that's how much time has passed while they're in space. And uh, she has this connection with the Zero Two statue. And I liked this because oftentimes in shows, the action um, climax and the emotional climax are not the same thing. And in this I mean, although they're localized uh, differently, they are symbolically the same moment um, because the action climax is this storm scene where Zero Two is losing the fight and uh, Hero is in the sunken place. Um, and the uh, emotional climax is back on Earth mm -hmm. where everyone comes together to hold hands in this hands across America moment to pray for our heroes in space, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, oh, and that's when Goro returns, which I thought was really cute. Mm -hmm. That like he gets there just in time to be part of the the lineup. So they hear the prayers in space. Zero or Hero hears it in his dream state, and that's what allows him to become conscious again and come back to the surface and rejoin with Zero Two to become this like fully actualized form, right? Yeah. Like they are the divine. Yeah. So this show's pretty consistent about the way they overcome their challenges. Mm -hmm. So the spirit or consciousness of zero two goes to where hero is in like the sunken place and they vocalize, they, they talk it out. And that's how they've traditionally overcome all their barriers. Mm -hmm. Like they meet, they voice their feelings. What I really liked about this is that he doesn't get pulled out like she goes down to where he is. I can't remember what the precedent is there, but like the idea is like where you go, I follow. Love it. Yeah. And the the prayers that they actually offer up, like it's not just them all standing with their hands together, but like each person says personal things that they wish they could convey. Um, I think it's Mitsuru who yells out like, Hiro, we had our child and gave her a name. It's I, for love, the word we were never taught. Which diegetically, you know, like they weren't taught all of these words about affection and friendship and camaraderie and sexuality. But like, is this a comment on maybe Japanese culture? Because we've talked a lot about that you do not say I. And so is this like a nod to like, maybe we should say these things to each <laughs> other and 
we will feel better. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty confrontational because now you, if you want to address this kid, you have to say it all the time. Mm, I like that. And this show is confrontational in general. So I think we mentioned it before, but I love the fact that the two climaxes are the same. I love that the people on earth get to be part of this because you know, although Zero Two and Hero are there saving the universe or whatever, saving it from Verm at least, like they couldn't have gotten there without everyone's efforts on Earth. So yeah. like, everyone really is still involved, even if they're distant. Um, so are we at the, the grand finale here, like the Super Saiyan moment? They have the bomb, and this looks a lot like uh, Conception. Mm-hmm. It's the sperm penetrating the egg hadn't thought about that until right now yeah <laughs> and uh you know honeymoon's over and now they they need to complete the death and rebirth cycle so here we are uh the bomb is put in place there is like the throes of this event happening and apis gets destroyed all of that is torn away and we are left with streletzia in its golden resplendent form you know, they get to have their final words in their like spiritual red oni, blue oni form. Now you are me. And you are me. You know, it's kind of an end, but they acknowledge like that it's not the end, that there mm-hmm. is going to be a rebirth. And because of what they have, like they just know that they'll be back again. They're at the top of the tree of life and they're making the fool sleep. I think it's really amazing and beautiful. So, Gigguk, if you're listening, go fuck yourself. Uh, this is not a sex <laughs> metaphor. Uh, you idiot. You completely missed the point. It is a conception metaphor. Like, not just conceiving a baby, though, like conceiving a whole new world. Yes. Like we said, Shiva has to destroy this old order yes. for the new world to be created by the Brahmin people yeah. left on Earth. So, our death and rebirth cycle is now at its cosmic level. Love it. And, oh, I never thought about this, but the the firm planet also looks like, it looks awful, right? Like it's the purple color, which we've associated with like these awful verm mechs that come down, but like, it looks almost cancerous. Yeah. So I love that they like burn this thing away. <laughs> and the, when it comes down to just, what do you call it? Uh, just Streletzia, mm-hmm. the, the Apis, everything is gone, right? It's just, we're back where we began, which is again, just wonderful. It's in this golden form that kind of looks like gold Sonic and it becomes the sperm, right? That impregnates the, or, or, or comes, or like uh, comes in contact with the egg. And I love that it's like, even though you're a parent or something, it's only the smallest part of you physically that 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 you leave to them like the rest of it is all this is the stories you leave behind which is what they uh leave as a legacy to the people left on earth i I, I do think one of the things this show does well is though i guess there's the question of whether in my head it's kind of like did the whole going to space thing just sort of like jump the shark (laughs) but it's like you know they had like this very complete arc in however many episodes 16 episodes or whatever Mm -hmm. and then in some ways this is like it's a lot of the same beats right so it's like again they solve the thing and go into this like new super saiyan form by saying that they love each other but they mm-hmm. did find a way to you know this time say the i steru instead of the daisuke like like they did 
manage to ramp up this scale where it does just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. until it like almost hits the limit of how big it can possibly be and then it ends there which you know i think i think a lot of like those shows that ran forever kind of the problem they went into is they like go so big and then they're like all right well we still have like 10 more seasons so how can we like figure out ways to like keep going bigger and bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. but you know I, i guess to some extent that works in a one season show like this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that when they're planning this out, they had planned before they started the first episode, they had planned that Zero Two becomes a giant space lady. That's <laughs> <laughs> where it's all going. It's where it all... <laughs> I just want there to be like these lines in like episode one where like Zero Two's like, have you ever thought about just being like huge? Like, <laughs> I would like to just be enormous. And then here is like, what? <laughs> and then it just like moves on. You, know? you come back to it. You're like, this is her dream all along. <laughs> that would be so satisfying. Last so there's this giant explosion. Um, obviously, we now understand that Hero and Zero Two will not return. That was like, you know, wishful thinking or, or a perfunctory promise that was made. But in the aftermath of the explosion, life goes on and they do come back to the world, but not as uh, a genetic thing, not as a physical thing, as a story thing. Um, Their story is not only finished by uh, Ichigo and the others, they draw the picture in for the last page they write the new ending and like love that illustration right not only is it like this giant bird it's the john bird it has both of their aspects in it and it also has like the x's on it the blue and red x's mm-hmm. that represent their horns but it also represents our, our the franks like our fucking uh uh logo yeah. is the red and blue x's right mm-hmm. which their horns make in that transcendent scene that they have yeah, that's amazing mm. I, I just really love that when Zero Two and Heroes, like spirits, are returning back to the Sakura tree, mm-hmm. the way they're intertwined, like they really are the Jean bird. Yeah. Finally get that payoff. And, and I guess we have Verm promising that, that they're not over too, right? Verm will not die. They're part of this same cycle and they're yeah. like, you might think you've destroyed us, but we'll be back. Yeah, I mean, so like, I didn't like that at first. I felt like it was like a twirling of the mustache. <laughs> you thought we were gone. <laughs> but, you know, after understanding the golden boughs, like, yes, of course, death is going to still be here. And that's what will usher in the rebirth. Yeah, because Verm is not a physical thing either, right? right. They're more of an idea. Yeah. So I have to shift my thinking on Verm. Uh is verm evil or is verm a phenomenon like a force of nature like gravity or magnetism they're the force of death that allows mononoa ware to have meaning and significance like without mm. that part of the cycle like the time you have doesn't matter you, you know at first i was saying you know i thought verm was going to just like kill them and it was going to be this kind of like sad ending about you know how you can't escape the universe but i mean verm verm still does kill them right mm-hmm. so the complete storybook ending would be like oh and then they fly well, back to earth and like, verm doesn't kill them. them like it's it's the consumption the conception well, if, of if, the if verm wasn't there they wouldn't have to go into space and die So they don't like beat them, but it is because Verm exists that the two of them have to die there. 
Am I yeah, on the right track? Ben? Yeah, I guess so. Or just like, I mean, I guess just the point of like, they, they do end up dying, right? Yes, so yes, the, yes. the full happy ending storybook thing would be like, they fly back to earth and everyone claps, you know, yes. they like kiss and have like a family or whatever. And, you know, so it's not that ending. They're still like, yeah, the universe does kind of get to them, but it was all worth it because of the continuation of, of life or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a tragedy, right? It's a victory. Like yeah. Hero and Zero Two got to have what they wanted. They realized their love and became one and completed their cycle. But yeah, it's not the Hollywood ending. Uh, sure. Yeah. It's much better. I actually really like this ending. Like the first time I watched it, uh, what's her name? When Zero Two becomes the giant woman, like I hated it. I was like, what yeah. the fuck is this shit? Why <laughs> is it? Like, why is it flesh colored? Why this doesn't make any sense. But now, like, I I love, especially the end here where they die. I love that they don't come back. So this gets into like some speculative stuff that I've wanted to talk to you for many, many episodes now. We get to see the the spirits of Zero Two and Hero reborn. We don't know how far forward time has flashed but it looks like the modern world it looks like downtown tokyo and like for many episodes we've seen like these closing sequences of our familiar characters like in like a modern metropolis and like just this feeling that i get is like oh we're seeing these little kids like they're gonna find each other they're gonna fall in love and they're just gonna get to have the kind of life that we hoped that they wanted to have maybe everybody's doing that maybe these images of Kokoro and Ichigo riding trains on their way to school, having a sleepover is like that. Like they get to have one ride on this cycle where they're not fucking child soldiers. Um, oh, that's another thing I fucking love. Maybe I commented on it, but they have these shots of the Franks deactivated mm-hmm. and they're just like statues. They're just these yeah. like silent sentinels with fucking plants overgrown on them and i just love it yeah it's a very like swords to plowshares kind of mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah yeah and so the story ends in this really satisfying manner in which everything comes full circle we are back to our opening images of these young children at the base of a tree right we saw uh in the very first episode we get these visions of of at least zero two child zero two like kind of in front of this tree and I just, I just love it. It's just so satisfying. Does anybody have any thoughts on the series as a whole? This is the time. Well, standing here, like at, at the end of this ride, uh, and then looking back, like I've enjoyed watching this show several times. Uh, but every single time when I get to the end of it, I have this like dilemma. It's like, how the hell do I pitch this show to somebody like a friend who i think would probably like it it's it's a hard sell like this isn't uh friggin my hero academia uh that's a pretty easy sell alex ben did you like darling in the franks (laughs) (laughs) no i yeah i enjoyed it i'm trying to think like is it too many is it too much of spoilers to just be like oh it's a show that like like kind of changes a lot as you watch it it's not Mm. what you think it is something like that i don't know trying to remember what i kind of knew going in i think all i knew was that it was controversial and i think i and so i guess it is like zero two does die in the end i Mm. (laughs) i very much sense that they were like (sighs) setting that up 
Your predictions are right. Yeah, not not how I was expected, but I thought it was going to be more like kids, life is hard and it's, you know, everything isn't like anime and we're going to like teach you about the real world. Like that's kind of more where I thought it was going to go. I think in part because it is so influenced by Evangelion. And I think like Evangelion was very controversial, you know, when I was a teen, I think because of the killing of... Asuka and people like that in in the Evangelion movies and, mm-hmm. and kind of how pissed off fans were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where I thought it was going. Oh, do you, do we know anything about how the community received that the ending here, Brian? Oh, for Drawing in the Franks? Yeah. Most of the anime community that did watch it did not like the ending. Uh, oh, it was just regarded it's... as absurd. <laughs> it's not absurd at all. It's fucking the structure is there. It's very strong. Yeah. So, you know, like think about uh, Western media. Uh, anything that just deviates too far from hero's journey uh, doesn't feel comfortable. It feels like mm-hmm. off. Right. And, you know, there's a similar thing in anime. Most popular anime have pretty similar beats. The, the top 10 among them like have strong endings like strong in terms of like like the emotional payoff of like yeah mm-hmm. we beat the bad guy <laughs> or yeah these two finally fell in love yeah. and got together this isn't that but, well but mm. it, in some ways it is right like i i feel like in some ways but not on the like silver we, platter that everyone expects right yeah. well it, i think the thing that makes it weird is that they just like they keep adding these like other cycles to it. So like them going through the void, that's like they're cross- crossing the threshold into this new thing. And like, so now Hero and Zero Two are kind of doing like a hero's journey together where it's like, it's like you have to do it alone. And like, like I think the hero falling asleep or something like that, that might be sort of like oh. map onto like meeting with the goddess or this like, like kind of like temptress thing where Firm tempts him and then he has to like overcome that and then they defeat the bad guy and then they return back to earth but change i don't know but it is so weird <laughs> it's, it's just like weird to be like okay like we're just gonna do this all over again in like the last two episodes of the series and that's kind of like our like a plot mech plot and then the b plot is like the thing that has continuity with like the whole show up until now yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I would say it seems like the hump is like maybe getting over like the first three or four episodes or something totally. like that. So I might just go from the front be like, yeah, it's this weird thing where they like write in these mechs and it's kind of like sexualized. But like, you know, that isn't actually like a super important like that's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you how you say it. it is one of those things where it's just like. Welcome you to know, my dilemma. I feel like whatever you say sounds like you're like protesting too much or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, no, <laughs> no, you no. really love it. <laughs> it's not about teenagers fucking, I swear. Like, <laughs> it's not why I'm into it. But but I like at the same time, I mean like like that was weird, but I like I mean like I don't know, like a lot of anime is kind of weird and um you know, I, I think there were parts of the early episodes that you know, it like gets your the hooks into you. So, so I do feel for the most part, it's like, well, if you get over that, like keep going. But then I think there's something like a similar thing. Maybe it's like kind of like the first four episodes. It's like, oh, this is weird. What am I getting myself into? And then it kind of hits that stride. 
And then like the last four episodes, you're like, wait, what? What what am I getting myself <laughs> into? Like, what did I I didn't sign up for this? Like, what's going on? Space uh, battles, god damn. <laughs> Wait, how about you, Alex? Oh, how would I recommend this to someone? Yeah. Uh, I would tell them that there's this awesome anime that's uh, a spiritual sequel to Neon Genesis that subverts a lot of our expectations and uses our expectations against us to tell a bigger story. And I would tell people like, and you will be surprised at the references that you get out of it. Like you can research the show and you can figure out like, like I did, like we did, like we figured out things about different mythologies and like, you know, Brian, you figured out like the Ainu stuff with like the bear gods and things (laughs) like that. But just watching it through, I think people would be surprised with the references that they get like just in this last episode right i didn't come into this thinking about talking about uh hinduism ben you were just like zero two in space kind of embodies uh shiva like the destroyer aspect i was like and like it's so easily fit in with the story and just the little pieces of it that we knew like that's what i would recommend to people i'll be like it is a very good active watch like if you just blaze through it in a weekend, you might think, oh, that was really strange and it had some great moments and I don't know what I thought about it. But if you do like we're doing and you like take the time to just talk to someone about it, like even one other person to watch it along with, I think people would be surprised at what they get out of it just from the conversation. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like that, Alex. And I liked especially, I think, Comparing it to uh, Evangelion is probably like a smart move. Like, Mm. I don't know. It does make me wonder if this was something similar to Evangelion. Like there was this very big vision, but it was like made at a time when maybe like there were more like commercial realities that like the studio had to deal with. And it's like kind of like trying to like create something like Evangelion, Mm -hmm. but like in an era where you have to have these mech designs and like sell mechs or I don't know. I'd be, I'd be curious, like, you know, kind of what stuff is kind of organic from the creators and what stuff is kind of like the, what you have to deal with as a market or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Gosh. When you first mentioned Evangelion as a spiritual successor, I was thinking, Oh yeah. The existential themes and the psychosocial stuff. And then there's Max. Mm-hmm. But like, even the way those shows handle sexuality is interesting. Like Evangelion, you do get the fan service stuff. You get Asuka's skirt blowing up and the panty shots and like, whoops, my, you know, raised towel fell off and I fell on her boobies, you know, but then we get mm-hmm. to these sexual en- encounters that are pretty dark and very confrontational, like uncomfortably. Mm-hmm. And then like, this is what we see in Darling in the Franks too. Um, I don't know. I was going to make a joke about how I was going to pitch the show. It's like, there's these young kids that are in like skin tight suits and they pilot mechs and it looks like they're fucking, <laughs> uh, but you know, like some of the sexual stuff in Frank's was just as uncomfortable, but <laughs> it, it, it wasn't for entertainment or tantalization. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so even Gillian FLCL and this show are all, I guess FLCL isn't quite mechs, but it's like robots. Robot shows that aren't about robots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, and they're, but they're specific. It's like robot shows 
about puberty mm. and like kids having to like deal with like the fate of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Like in some ways you're like, oh, they just like, you know, it's like making the same show over and over again. But then they're like such dramatically different takes from one another mm-hmm. in terms totally. of like tone and I don't know, just kind of like everything. And it's yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. No, totally. I'm glad you brought up FL Seal because that, again, deals with a lot of these same things like, you know, like uh, Zero Two and Asuka have some similarities, but like Zero Two and uh, God damn it, Haruko. Yeah. I mean, it's another pink haired alien. Absolutely. Girl. <laughs> like Zero Two is much She's more, more like experienced Haruko than Asuka. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Man, now I'm kind of sad that we didn't talk more about the similarities between FLCL. Kind of slipped under the radar. Oh, it came up with the baby hand. Okay, cool. The baby <laughs> hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Maybe that was like just a, an homage. It's like, gotta throw a giant hand in there. We haven't we haven't put enough FLCL DNA in. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I am just curious. So um, I feel like I know the answer for Brian, maybe. Mm-hmm. But so out of those three animes, Evangelion, uh, FLCL, and Darling in the Franks, which do you guys think is your your favorite oh gosh i don't know frank's is sticking out because it because we're doing it because it's so recent i think flcl because like i saw flcl i think after you and i had watched and kind of digested neon genesis a little bit ben when we were young and so when i saw flcl i feel like i had more of a grounding and i was able to enjoy it and analyze it more than like Neon Genesis just felt like it was washing over me when you and I watched it. Plus, like, all of them have awesome music, but FLCL has, like, I just love the Pillow soundtrack. And I know everybody, when they talk about FLCL, the first thing is like, oh, I love the music. But, like, it really makes that experience for me. So I think I would say FLCL. It's 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 a mood, as the, the kids would say. Yes, 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 yes. How about you, Brian? Uh, this puts me on the spot because when I was on the show for Evangelion, uh, I named Evangelion as my favorite anime. Uh, but, you know, like that's typical of me when I'm in something like I'm so invested in it. Uh, and I really did enjoy that ride. But, you know, Darling in the Franks was like my re-entry back into anime after a very long hiatus. And, um, mm. you know, so much anime was just like Cowboy Bebop was so badass and hip and cool but like just like some of the stuff in darling in the franks just got me on a personal level mm-hmm. uh, so i do have to say darling in the franks and i i, I kind of like that my favorite anime is one that's like so unpopular and so hated in the anime community <laughs> <laughs> makes you feel hipster get to feel punk rock all over again I didn't realize that it was your re-entry point. So like there's even a parallel, right? Between like your cycle of anime enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Like this started a new cycle for you, which is one of the major themes of it. Gosh, I have to confess like how shallow I am. You know, we talk about marketing and fan service and all that shit. Like, well, I fell for it, right? So what was it, 2018? I was Mm -hmm. just bored and Otokan was in town. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go to this anime convention by myself and just, you know, I haven't been to one of these things in 10 years, you know, I'll just see what's going on. And I was dazzled. Like there's so many cool animes and like the art is amazing. And you're just saturated by this stuff when you walk through the convention center. And I saw this gigantic banner of zero two 
I was like, fuck. Mm. <laughs> it's like, I have no idea what that's from. <laughs> but like, you can do one single Google search and it doesn't have to be very accurate. And like, you'll find zero too. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay. That's a really weird title for an anime, but like, I'm kind of used to that. So I was like, Darling in the Franks. First thing I did was like, look it up on YouTube. Dozens of these videos, like trashing it. Worst anime ever made. And I was like, really? <laughs> well, let's see what that's about. <laughs> uh, and Ben, uh, I know we're very close to it and this is your first time completely through. So maybe you don't have enough distance, but if you had to say right now between the three, you have a clear favorite? Not a, definitely not a clear favorite. Yeah, it's kind of inter I, I think in terms of like like kind of like the the style or like that like coolness factor like that you were talking about like Cowboy Bebop. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I I think FLCL was very much of that same era and it does I think there's something about it it's kind of like melancholy or something like that that also really like speaks to me mm -hmm. or its complication, but then also yeah, I don't know, Neon Genesis is like very I don't know. There's something that um, feels very like classic about it for some reason. Like it mm -hmm. just feels like it is this very like archetypical story. And and maybe it is just that even though it's weird, there is this kind of weird familiarity to it too. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a tough call. Yeah. And I, I do think I am just like too close to Darling in the Franks. I'm, I'm still kind of like, <laughs> what? What was this? <laughs> <laughs> It's, I mean, it's definitely, it's the most epic of them. And part of it too, I've never watched the, um, I think I watched one of the movies of Evangelion way mm -hmm. back in the past, but I feel like they kind of did more of this, like going up into space and whatever kind of stuff in the movies. Whereas like Darling and the Franks, like kind of stuck that into the show proper. Mm. Um, when you're talking about that confusion of like, what did I get myself into? Like, what the heck is this that I'm watching? Like, I love that feeling in an anime. Let me just apologize if my kids ever listen to this show in the future. Like, they love My Hero Academia and like, whatever, that's fine. <laughs> but like, My Hero Academia doesn't surprise me. Like, I know what I'm going to get and they deliver. It's a power fantasy. Yeah. yeah. What What about, um? what is it? Uh, something Tokyo... Uh, Tokyo Hitman Reborn. Tokyo Hitman Reborn. Tokyo Hitman Reborn. <laughs> Sin and Sophie's favorite anime. Yeah, that that has lots of great twists and turns, right? <laughs> yes, so absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There's a tournament arc. I don't know if you've ever come across a tournament arc in an anime, but that one has <laughs> Oh, and uh, Ben, any you just come through it for the first time. Any... Big thoughts. I can't remember if we went over this. I, I guess just a, a couple of like free form thoughts thinking about this. I, I think one, like, I think endings are always hard. They're always kind of like the hardest thing, kind of both to like make something feel complete and like have the ending feel earned. And I do think they, I do think they kind of, you know, despite this like weird place it went right at the end, it does kind of feel like, it does feel like very like finished mm. and i think in some ways it's smart that hero and zero two did kind of go off and like so you still have the battles you have that kind of continuity but then like you had enough time to kind of make the you know recolonization of the earth or whatever feel earned 
And it's kind of interesting too that you know we we have this passage of time happening on Earth, but then also it's just like yeah, they like traveled for two years in space, which does seem like something out of like kind of like an ancient like epic or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you know they're in like the world's biggest ship and they're just like traveling through the ocean or through outer space or whatever, right? And um, <gasps> a sea of stars, yeah. <laughs> and then. Um, well, I lost something, but then I remembered something else, which is so this episode is named Never Let Me Go, um, which is one of my favorite books. It's um, by a Japanese Brit, oh. Brit of Japanese ancestry, Kazuo Ishiguro, who's actually won the Nobel Prize for Literature, I believe. I'm not sure oh. if it's for that book or for something else. Uh, but it's also a dystopia about a group of clones who are special and different from from the other clones. Maybe part of the inspiration. So there it's this weird dystopia where it's a world where we grow clones for organ transplants and we've like just conveniently decided that they're not real humans, like Mm non-clones. And so it's okay just to like harvest their organs. And, um, uh, you know, I don't want to, spoil the book but that's basically the the start of it and it's um it's a very uh emotional love story so mm-hmm. um, interesting an excellent yeah. recommendation audience if you liked darling and the franks be sure to check out never let me go the book <laughs> so so ben if uh if people want to get more ben where can they go to find more ben <laughs> uh yeah i mean i guess still so my uh my latest thing is uh the podcast algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find out it uh, made the Atlantic's uh, list of top 50 podcasts of <gasps> 2021. Very nice. Congratulations. Yeah. So if you don't believe me, believe them. <laughs> so go check it out. And if you want to find us, uh, you can tweet at us at penpenpalspod. You can send us an email at penpenpalspod at gmail.com. So I do want to treat us as our own guests. So like, Alex, is there anything you'd like to promote outside of our show? Definitely. If you have the capacity to give to your local mutual aid organizations, please do so. If you have the ability to go out and join them and meet them and maybe put up your own efforts, your own labor, that that'll be far more uh, uh, satisfying to you as a person, I think. Very cool. And what about you, Brian? Do you want to promote anything? Yeah, sure. So I'm a wellness professional. Uh, if you're looking for some form of coaching, you can go to my website, uh, www.lifejutsu.com. J-U-T-S-U. That is correct. Just like Naruto. There is a podcast uh, that I'm working on. It's come up before, uh, Gospel of Serpents. It is about the uh, influence of conservative evangelicalism in modern politics. That's not the most fun material to go through. One just thought before we do the the final sign-off, did we land anywhere on on what we're doing next? Is there anything we want to tease? Do we want to cryptically... There's been some talk about maybe covering some movies that were related to a series we've already covered. Mm-hmm. So that is something I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, do, do, uh, I don't know if it's what we'll get to next. Do you not want to say it out loud? I mean, you can. You just said cryptic. So. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be as cryptic as possible. All right. Shall I get us started? Mm-hmm. Pen. Pen. Pals. Darling. Darling.